0: Well, this morning we are going to be continuing in the book of Hebrews. Uh, We almost got through chapter 7 last week, but I left a few verses there for us to continue in, and we're going to look at those verses today and continue on into chapter 8, and we're going to get through all of chapter 8 this this morning. Um, So if you can, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, and we're going to go all the way through. Chapter 8, verse 13. This is what it says For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and will, I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Thus sends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that they are under this new covenant. A covenant that will not vanish. Now when I say the word covenant, what do you think of? Perhaps when you hear this word, you're you're at a loss. You, you just have no clue what I'm talking about. It's one, one of those words that they say at church every now and then, but it really has no meaning to you. But maybe, just maybe, you're a gamer, right? And the first thing that comes to your mind is a game Halo. And so you're reminded of this alien army that you need to be, that you need to be defeating, right? All right, covenant? Yep. (laughs) They get it. (laughs) But probably most of you, when you, when you hear this word covenant, you're, you're thinking of some kind of promise, some kind of oath. You see, covenant is one of those Christian-y words that, that we kind of put out there without necessarily understanding what that word actually means. So what is a covenant? A covenant is this. It is an agreement between two or more parties. Pretty simple, right? And when we talk about covenants in the Bible, these agreements, they they tend to be relational in nature. To to give you some modern day examples of of a covenant, think think about the sale of a home, right? Uh, before I, I could purchase the home that I'm now in, I, I had to sign a, a stack of papers about this sick. Uh, you know. And why did I have to do this? Because there were nu- numerous amounts of terms and conditions that had to be agreed upon. By not only the buyer and the seller, but by the real estate agents, by the mortgage companies, by the title companies, and and even by our local and state governments. And so we have this stack of papers that is a covenant that all the parties involved agreed to. Or think about marriage, right? What, What does a husband and a wife have to do before they can be officially wed? They make vows to one another. They, they, they take these oaths, these promises of how they will be faithful to one another until death do them part, right? This is a covenant that they have with one another. Today, our our author is addressing this, this subject of covenants. He, he speaks of an old covenant and he speaks of a new covenant. And just as we saw last week when when he compared the priesthood of the Levites to the priesthood of Jesus, he is now trying to make this similar distinction between these two covenants and demonstrating that the new is superior to the old. But before we get there, let's, let's remind ourselves of what this book of Hebrews is all about. If you recall, this is a letter, right? It, it was written to people. But, it, but it's written more like a sermon. And it was addressed to these Jewish converts to the Christian faith that were struggling under heavy persecution. And so our author is trying to encourage these people to hold firm in what they believe, to not run back to, to their Jewish roots, even though they were under that heavy persecution. And the reason that they should stand firm was because that this Jesus whom they now worship is better. And that is the theme of this letter, right? Jesus is better. He is a better revelation of the Father. He, he is better than the angels. He is a better son than Moses. He gives a better rest than, than Joshua. Joshua. And he is a better high priest than Aaron. And it was that last point that we focused on last week, as we saw Jesus as our high priest forever. He he was declared as such by an oath from God. And because his priesthood is eternal, that means that he is always before his Father interceding for us. And that's some good news, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But a better high priest needs to be under a better covenant as well. And this is exactly what our author wants to communicate today. That that at the coming of Jesus, there also came this new covenant. And because of this new covenant, the old covenant is now being made obsolete. Let's let's see how this plays out. Look Look at chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Here we once again see this contrast between the priesthood of the Levites and the priesthood of Jesus. Only this time he is pointing out Christ's sinless nature. Jesus is holy, he is innocent. He is unstained. He is separated from sinners. And He is exalted above the heavens. And the reason that this is being pointed out is to show this contrast between Christ and these earthly priests. He who was without sin is distinct from those who were born sinful. And we see that those who were born sinful... They needed not only to offer sacrifices for the people, but for themsel- themselves as well. But Jesus, Jesus on the other hand, he doesn't need to do this. He, he doesn't need to make that animal sacrifice to cover himself. No. For he can come to his Father without any fear of being unclean. He, he can go through the, through the curtain to the throne of God anytime he wants, because he himself is without sin. And this is what this new covenant demands. A high priest who can represent his people at all times. He he doesn't need to go through that cleansing ritual that they all went through. Rather, he can just go to his Father because he is already holy. But the demands of a new covenant is more than just a better priest, for it demands a better offering as well. Look at at Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 3. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. And here we see another reason for Jesus to be blameless. Because he needed to bring an offering. You see, the sacrifice that that Jesus brings is not some spotless lamb. It is not some unblemished bull. Rather, it is his own body. It is through his death upon the cross that the wrath of God was appeased and that the sins of men can truly be covered up. And this, this, my friends, is the better sacrifice that this new covenant demands because this sacrifice can actually accomplish the work that is necessary. The work of fulfilling the demands of God's justice. The work of bringing about true forgiveness for God's people. Listen, Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's better than any blood of any animal. Because he can actually bring about the reconciliation that we need. But not only does a new covenant demand a better high priest. Not only does a new covenant demand a better offering, but it demands a better tabernacle as well. Look look at verses 4 and 5. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. In this new covenant, Jesus is not just repeating what the priests under the old covenant did. Rather, he is doing something new and this is why he serves in a new location in a heavenly location you see if if jesus served on an, in an earthly location then there would be no need for him to be a priest at all for for there were already sons of aaron serving in that role and yet jesus serves in a heavenly tabernacle one in which one in which the earthly tabernacle was only a replica for the tabernacle that God had instructed Moses to build, it was merely a shadow, a, 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 simply a copy of the true tabernacle of God. And that's why God had given to Moses such detailed instructions. For, for he wanted to give the people back then the idea of what his true throne, throne room was like. He, he wanted those priests to, to know that what they were entering into was sacred and holy. Holy. And yet, as careful and as detailed as those instructions were followed, this earthly tabernacle, it could never compare to the real thing. You see, just as those priests of old were merely pointers to a greater high priest, so too we we see that that old tabernacle, that old temple, was also pointing to that which is greater, to that which is better to the true throne room of God. And so what we see is that this earthly tabernacle, it is inferior to the heavenly tabernacle. And that's why this new covenant demands a better tabernacle, one where God is truly throned in all of his glory. Now, now our author, he will speak in more depth about these things later. And yet, he is pointing them out now because they are crucial for what he is about to address. For for now that we have this better high priest, now that we have this better offering, and and now that we have this better tabernacle, that means that we have all that is necessary for this better covenant. So let's talk about this new covenant. Let's let's look at the next verse. Look at verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now think a minute minute about what we just read. Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The priestly ministry of our Lord is better because it is built upon this better covenant, upon Better promises. Now now the old, what what, what were the promises and that the old covenant was built upon? Was it not obedience to the law? when 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 the Israelites, when they were wandering in the wilderness, what did God give to them? He gave them his law. he He instructed them from that high mountain, And as they were about to step foot into the promised land, God God spoke to them once again, one last time. And He reminded them of the conditions of that covenant. Look Look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. Here we have God reminding His people of what they had agreed to. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the lord your god will set you high above the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the lord your god did you notice that that the blessings of god were contingent upon the obedience of israel this this is quid pro quo right tit-for-tat. It's all based upon the people being able to follow the regulations in God's law. Now look a little further in the same chapter. Look, Look this time at verse 15. God says this, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so here we see that the curses of God, they were contingent upon Israel's disobedience. If they they chose not to obey, then it would be their downfall. And so what we see is that this old covenant was a conditional covenant. In other words, God's blessings and God's curses were dependent on what the people did. <clears throat> Think about what I talked talked about earlier when I when I talked about buying my home. That contract was a conditional covenant. I needed to procure the, the the financings, the financing in order to give the seller the money that they desired, right? And only when the money was in their account would then the title of the house be transferred over into my name. The these were the terms of our agreement. They were conditional terms. No money, no house, right? Well that's how this old covenant functioned. God would interact with his people in accordance to how obedient his people were. Perhaps you are here today and this has been your experience in your interactions with God. You you feel this constant pressure to be good enough. Pressure to be obedient to his law, and in the, in the hopes that that somehow you might be able to please him, and yet this pressure has been weighing you down, because no matter how hard you try, you always seem to fall short, and so it eats at you, and you feel guilty, and yet you keep pressing on, right, hoping that the the next day you will do just a little bit better, that you will become that much more holy. But maybe that's not your story. Maybe it's the other way around. And it's not that you don't feel the pressure, but it's, it's that the pressure has become too much. And your failures have become too many. And so instead of trying harder, you just give up and give in to the desires of your flesh. You figure that, that God has asked too much of you, and that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to please Him. And so you've decided that that it's better to just enjoy life now than to spend endless days in this futile, futile game. Now both of these scenarios describe a life under the old covenant. The, the, The first is a life of legalism. A life where you can never be good enough. The second is a life of licentiousness. A life where you just give up trying to please God. And yet, both of these lives, they they fall short of God's desire for you. And thus, both of these types of lives, they find themselves in a broken covenant. Unable to live under the blessings that God has to offer to them. And yet, it was for this exact reason that God found fault with that first covenant. For just as the old priesthood couldn't achieve the goal of reconciling man to God, so too this old covenant it, it couldn't achieve its goal of bringing the blessings of God to God's people. And that is why a new covenant was necessary. A covenant that is enacted on better promises. Let's let's look at this covenant further. Look at look at verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> For he finds fault with them when he says, "Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Our author is now quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. And what is interesting is is that these words were written well over 600 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And so this idea that there there would be a need for a new covenant, it, it came well before that new covenant was established. Of course, God had this new covenant in his mind from the beginning. But it was revealed to God's people gradually over many, many generations. And it didn't find its fulfillment until the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the, the reason that God found fault with this old covenant was because that it was incapable of bringing about His blessings to a sinful people. And He truly, truly desired to bless His people. He desired true reconciliation between Him and His people, and not just a shadow of it. And that's why he had his servant Jeremiah pronounce the coming of this new covenant hundreds of years prior to when it would even be enacted. And this was just one more reason that our author tells these Jewish converts to the Christian faith that it is foolish to go back to Judaism. Because to go back was to reject this new, this this better covenant. To, to go back was to reject the, the promise that God had spoken to his people all those years before. It's like a kid who's who's waiting all year long to go to Disney World, right? Yet once he gets to the gate, he throws a massive fit. And he wants to turn around and go home. Any parents out there know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's foolishness. You see, this this new covenant... The, the, the Jews had been anticipating it. And now it had finally arrived. And now that it was here, they should not spurn it. Because it is so much better than the old covenant. But why is it better? What are these better promises that this new covenant is built upon? Let's look at the end of this quote from Jeremiah. Look at, look at verses 10 through 12. toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. There are three promises that we see in this covenant. Three oaths that God has made. And the first is that God says that he will put his law into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now you may be asking yourself, how is this any different from that Old Covenant that seemed to be fixated on God's law? And that's a good question. Here's the difference. In the Old Covenant, the focus was on man's efforts. Their efforts to live up to God's standards. But what we just read here has nothing to do with the efforts of men. For the focus is no longer on the ability of men, but is on the ability of God. God is the one who is putting His law into their minds, God is the one who is writing His law on their hearts. The effort doesn't come from man, rather, the effort comes from God. I hope you see the difference. The old is about us working on the external, while the new is about God working on the internal. The the old would have us focusing on our actions, while the new has God focusing on our hearts. The old was about us trying, and yet the new is about God transforming. Do you see the difference We see the same exact thing in the preaching of Jesus. Look look at the words of our Lord from his Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Or look again at verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you you see how Jesus makes this a heart issue? And not just a matter of our actions? Here's the deal. Because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's sin. You were born into sin. You are a sinner. That's who you are. You're not a sinner because you sin. You you sin because you are a sinner. Do you see the difference? And that was the purpose of this old covenant. To demonstrate to you your true nature. How you have fallen short of God's standard. And have become distant from him. And how on your own you, you just can't do it. You need God's help. You need him to rescue you. You need him to change you. And that's what this new covenant does. It is God's way of working on your heart. And working on your mind in order that he might transform you into the image of his son. Where you have failed, God, he takes over and finishes the work. But that's only the first promise of this covenant. For this this transformation, it, it achieves more than just making us a moral people, for it then allows us to enter into God's presence. It allows us to dwell with our God, and that's why He says these words: "I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Do you see it? This is about reconciliation. This is about relationship. It's about God having a people who are not merely in service to them, as as if they were His slaves. But it's about Him having sons. It's about Him having daughters. Children whom He can call His own. And it's about us finding our joy in being those children. Children of our King. And yet, without God transforming us from within, this would not be possible. For without Him cleansing us, without Him putting His his law in our minds and writing it upon our hearts, we would not be able to stand before Him, for we would be consumed by His glory. Think of the prophet Isaiah, who who, when he was taken before the the throne of God, he he cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now why would Isaiah exclaim this? Because he needed his guilt taken away. He needed his sins atoned for. Dear friends, Isaiah's story is your story. For for if you are to be in God's presence, then He must change you. He must transform you. He must cleanse you. And the good news is that this is what God actually desires for you. He, He wants to transform you in order that you can be with Him. In order that He might bless you and remove the curse from you in order that you might find true joy in Him. But the only way that these things are possible is if your sins are truly wiped away. And that is the last promise, this third promise that we see that God does in this covenant. For God speaks these words, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, And I will remember their sins no more. This takes us back to those necessary demands of this new covenant, does it not? That we have this better high priest who who goes into a better sanctuary and gives a better offering. For Jesus is that sacrificial gift that takes away our sins. You see, in in this new covenant, God offers to you a life of peace. Peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He he offers to remove that that weight of guilt that has been dragging you down. And and He does does so through the cross of Jesus For it is only there that you can know that your sins have been paid for once and for all. It is only there that that you will no longer have to live a, a life filled with anxiety and worry, wondering if you have been good enough or if your next sin will be forgiven. For at the cross of Jesus, you can have the confidence that it has all been paid through his shed blood. You see, it is this forgiveness that comes from Jesus that is the basis of this new covenant. Without the cross of Christ, you wouldn't have a new heart. Without the cross of Christ, you wouldn't have a new mind. Without the cross of Christ, you wouldn't find joy of being welcomed into God's family. And without the cross of Christ, you wouldn't be able to stand in God's presence, and enjoy the blessings of your king. And that, my friends, that is why this is a better covenant. Because Jesus gives you all of this. It doesn't get any better. Look at our last verse. Look at verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant... He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You see, these, these two covenants, they, they were never intended to coexist. For the new replaces the old. In fact, the new makes the old obsolete. And that's why it must Vanish. Let me ask you a question. And and as I ask you this question, I I want you to think long and hard about how you would truly answer it. And my question is this. Which covenant are you living under? Are you living under the old? Or are you living under the new? You see, you are either living under one or the other. And there is no in between. And if you are living under the old... then then you are either living in constant fear of being judged or you you have just chosen to give up and ignore God altogether. Either way, you will never find true peace with God for you will not be changed nor will you find access into God's throne room and your sins will, will not be removed but they will remain without a true sacrifice to take them away you need to be under this new covenant. You need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ where you can find these better promises. Dear friends, if if you are living in constant fear of judgment, then know that under this new covenant, you can have freedom from that fear. If you are ignoring God, if you are ignoring his law and living this licentious lifestyle, well, then know this. You will never be able to change if you remain there. And yet, under this new covenant, Christ, he will impart to you his law, both in your heart and in your mind. And he will change you from within. And so if you truly want change, if you truly want to be reconciled to your God, if you truly want to have your sins forgiven, then you need to be under this new covenant for only Jesus Christ has the power to do those things for you. So turn from your old ways. Turn from that old covenant and put your faith in this Jesus. Put your trust in Him alone. For he offers a better covenant, one that is built on better promises. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now with both weary and worn out hearts. Too often we 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 try to please you through our own efforts and yet each and every time we fail. And then there are other times where we just give up and we just ignore you altogether. And yet you have not given up on us. For you sent to us your son who enacted this new covenant through his shed blood. This son who who took away all of our sins. When he died in our place. And so we ask now that you would help us to believe this message. That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And change us from within. That we might be in your presence and enjoy your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.